The Totally Super Podcast is coming to Geeks Radio. Justin and Arthur review every superhero movie ever made. Search for Totally Super Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Totally Super Podcast 2017. Warning, the following contains plot spoilers and naughty language. That means explicit content. And the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. Welcome to Pop Up. My name's Justin. And I'm Arthur. It's been a while. It's been yeah. a while since we recorded. Um, sorry, guys. Uh, life gets in the way um, mm-hmm. sometimes. Uh, lots of traveling. Uh, you did traveling. I was supposed to come down and see you, and you came up here on the weekend that I went down. Yeah. We, we just uh, were like two ships passing in the night. Yes, we uh, we stopped um, and recorded a long lost podcast at a at a truck stop in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not true. Um, we had a, yeah, we had a lot of tra- yeah, we we uh, we recorded uh, podcast on uh, uh, on all of the John Waters films, and we had a lot of truckers yes. looking at us <laughs> really funny. <laughs> that's not a pink flamingo. Um, <laughs> uh, so, um, so today, uh, as promised, uh, I, I love how we lead into like, and today we're doing as if it's like, not like in the title of the episode that they're downloading yeah. onto their show. You know what we uh, should do though, is actually just do something where it's just like today on pop off, we're going to be talking about this movie. And then we're just without making mention of that movie, just talk about something completely differently. Yeah, I know. Like, like let's deliberately mislabel it. This yeah. Is- um, but no, today we're talking about uh, Serenity. Um, yay! The conclusion. Yay. The conclusion of uh, our Firefly. Um, yeah, the con- the conclusion of Firefly. No, really, guys, out there in the universe, stop asking for it. It really is the conclusion of Firefly. Yeah, if it was go- if Firefly was going to come back, it would have come back this year. I mean, this would have been the year for it. Um, what because- do you say this year? Well, because uh, a few things all happened at once, right? Joss. Um, uh, was smarting after Avengers Age of Ultron. He had a bit of a breakdown. Um, uh, he was, you know, he's been without a project forever. Like it's mm-hmm. been like like three years and his name has not been attached to like anything. Um, and at the same time, Castle's ending uh, for Nathan Fillion. It's well, not true. Li- it's not like the, the world is beaten down the door of the rest of the cast, frankly, mm-hmm. um, with the exception of uh, Miranda Barakin. But we, you could have gotten her back. She would have done it. Yeah. I um, mean, you, I mean, you would have had a hard time getting Ron Glass back. But the oh, well, it wouldn't have been necessary. So. Oh, dude. 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 Yeah, that's that's uh, wrong on like two different levels. I yeah, should, seriously. I, I, ap- I apologize for that one, both in real and character life. Yeah. Um. Anywho, uh, uh, we have um, then, of course, now Joss is, and we'll talk about Joss uh, a little bit next podcast. But um, you know, now he's you know doing all the reshoots on Justice League, which he also rewrote, um, and he's writing and directing the Batgirl film. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, it's it's that ship is sold. I mean, this or sold uh, sailed. This would have been the time that it might have happened, and it didn't yeah. happen. So I think that's it, and that's okay. I, you know, onwards and upwards. Yeah, and I don't think it would have been okay with me if not for this film. Um, uh, you know, let's let's be clear. Everybody was mad that Firefly went away. 
like Firefly was was it, it didn't do that but well, but then they put everyone it was everyone was mad in retrospect that Firefly yeah. went away. They didn't watch it when it was on, which you know might have now, helped. Here's a question though, with yeah. everything that's going on with Netflix and everything right now, you know, Netflix starting, you know, I mean, heck, Voltron is getting a reboot now. <laughs> um, if they had not made this film. Is it possible that they would have made another season, like through the Netflix? Like because this film was made, there is a sense of closure, and even the fans got a sense of closure, which is good. Had this film not been, Firefly would absolutely have been the prime target for sure uh, something like Netflix or Hulu to pick up. Yeah, but I think that this film does a good job. I mean, this is this is you know I don't want to say this is unprecedented. I guess Star Trek did this. Um, but took a long time. Yeah, to and do Star this. Trek had a way bigger cult following. Uh, yeah, or I mean, yeah, this was this really was unheard of in many many ways. This was the first time that uh, I think pretty much the great, the great DVD success stories are Firefly and Family Guy. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, because they because they released that great DVD box set and they released it cheap. Like mm-hmm. it, you like you could get you could get it for nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. Um. And it was beautiful, and it felt like it felt like a whole when all the other seasons were you know like fifty dollars at the time. Now yeah. they often have seasons for nineteen, but at the time that was unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um. And it was it wasn't Firefly like the number one for like a year. It was up there. Like it was always like yeah. up at the top. Um. And as people discovered it, they decided to make Serenity, and it was going to be a huge thing. This is going to blow. And again, Serenity, just like Firefly. Nobody saw. I don't know if nobody saw it. It it did all right from what I remember, and I mean it was critically, uh, it was critically reviewed very well. Um, yeah, it, no, it it was crit- it was so, not the blockbuster that they were hoping it to be. But I mean, I don't I don't think they lost money on it. Well, let's see. Um, the movie yeah. is. I have the information right here. Yes. The movie cost. Uh, the co- movie cost thirty nine million to make. Uh, the worldwide box office was thirty nine million. Um, and, and that's before DVD. That's before DVD. The rule of the rule of thumb is that a movie makes back um, half of its box office um, because of different deals, because of you know what the theaters keep, because of you know printing mm. and stuff like that. Um, I don't feel like this movie spent a ton on marketing. Maybe it spent 20 million on marketing. So it probably mm-hmm. lost, I just guess, you know, between, you know, five and $10 million at the box office. But then, you know, DVD, like DVD sales, like Firefly, you know, like, like mm-hmm. the show um, have done very well. Um, yeah. And, and I think that in the long run, it uh it it did and this well, is but- a this is a movie with long term staying power like I mean it's like Wrath of Khan this movie's gonna get shown a lot on syndication every now and then and like the like people w- people will be looking to watch this movie 10, 20 years from now easy sure so. um well let's talk real quick uh yeah. um um I have said when we finally get to our totally super podcast uh that we are going to um have a written out synopsis. I don't have that uh synopsis written out. So I'm going to be doing this from memory. Uh here is uh your basic synopsis of Firefly. Um uh River Tam, 
uh, has been taken by her brother Simon to escape from uh, the Alliance, a federation like uh, a peaceful organization uh, on its interior. It has been known to be ruthless uh, on its uh, on the outskirts of its borders in order to uh, to enforce uh, what are supposed to be Alliance uh, planets uh, with falling in line. Um, uh River Tam has escaped, uh, of course, to the uh, ship of one Malcolm Reynolds and is being pursued by um, an operative of the uh, Alliance Parliament um, who has uh, come to the uh, knowledge that uh, River was placed uh, in uh, in the same uh, vicinity as uh, as key members of parliament and uh, may have gleaned um, using her psychic powers inadvertently um, a deep, dark secret. Uh, there's a lot of pursuit going on um, as, uh, as uh, rivers uh, psychosis and also abilities begin to ramp up and unfold and get worse, especially after she is uh, triggered uh, to remember the word Miranda. Um, this uh, causes them to go to Mr. Universe, uh, a media um, media savvy uh, um, tech guru in the in the center of the alliance, whose uh, job is to uh, be somewhat pirate radio, somewhat anonymous, um, uh, as he gets out information uh, on the signal, which cannot be stopped. Um, uh, the operative being aware that uh, that everything has been ratcheted up, ratchets up his uh, threat on Mal, that uh, Mal must absolutely return River. When Mal refuses, uh, the operative uh, sends in troops to murder everyone that Mal has ever uh, been in contact with, uh, which includes... Um, unfortunately, the uh, planet of Haven, where uh, Ron Glass's Shepherd book um, uh, has gone since leaving the ship. Um, enraged uh, and in a horrible place. Uh, personally, Mal uh, takes uh, Serenity, now outfitted to look like the ship of the evil Reavers who murder and rape people to death um, and, <laughs> uh, and are outside of what has been discovered as the planet of Miranda. Um, right along its core, it seems that they surround the planet for reasons that are heretofore unknown. Uh, Mal, uh, Mal fools the Reavers into thinking Serenity is uh, their ship Serenity is a Reaver ship as they land on the planet of uh, Miranda and realize what has happened. Uh, the Alliance was trying to make the uh, the citizens of Miranda um, more peaceful, to get rid of crime, to get rid of pain and 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 all that sort of thing uh, by releasing um, a chemical called the Pax into the atmosphere. The Pax has caused uh, 99.9% <coughs> of the population uh to uh 99.9% of the population to become so peaceful that they eventually just lay down and die not caring for themselves in any way um the other one tenth of one percent of the population has the opposite effect and uh and has absolutely everything about their hostility increase and these are the reavers that we've known so much uh having this information in tow mal uh flies back through reaver space uh directly to mr universe where the alliance is waiting with the operative with a fleet having this knowledge uh mal uh antagonizes the reavers and has them chase him into uh, 
uh, into uh, Mr. Universe's planet's uh, uh, atmosphere. A giant battle ensues. The Serenity crash lands. Uh, Deer Wash is killed by a stray spear. Um, and Mal struggles mightily against the operative to uh, send out the signal with the truth about Miranda while he is protected by his valiant crew against the onslaught of the Reavers. Um, at the uh, last moment, River is able to destroy all the Reavers. Mal is able to get all of the uh, information out and the operative now seeing what the Alliance is capable of uh, switches sides, saves them from the Alliance troops and allows Serenity to leave uh, where uh, where River is now helping Mal pilot the ship um, onto their uh, future voyages. And that's what I have. Bravo. Bravo. Well done, sir. Go ahead. Um, Take your oxygen, so, old man. I know. Seriously, uh, when I if when I write it down, it'll be much cleverer than cleverer than that. <laughs> um, but that's the plot of Serenity. Um, yeah. So how do we want? To, do you want to go through this bit by bit, or do you just want to dive into things well, that jump out? Because there's my, like three or four things that I really wanted. There's um, rather than trying to talk about everything in this film, sure. uh, I th- I think the model that's worked pretty well for us with Pop Off is what are the things that really jumped out to us as good talking points. Yeah, because um, let's be honest, there's probably at least a hundred other podcasts specifically dealing with Serenity that are out there. Yeah. So what uh, my notes are chronologically through the film, but it's not like and then this happened, then this happened. My notes are sort of like things that popped out to me. First thing I want to ask you uh, about what popped out to you is if we go from the very beginning of the film, um, that th- there are two astounding openings, one after the other at the beginning of the film where Joss Whedon is like, hey, I'm making movies now. And you just get the sense that he is he is in love with the process. Um, the first being uh, the opening of the film, uh, starting with the Universal logo. The Universal logo comes over a planet. The Universal logo then pulls back over the planet. And we zoom in on the planet. And the planet is, um, is the Alliance War. Um, and then we see the, like, the... The Alliance War that we're seeing um, spreads further and further and further out until it becomes a map. The map is being taught in a classroom. And so we've now switched from from these, these images in space to a classroom where young River is talking. And then the teacher hits her in the head. And now the classroom is a memory. So the map is in the classroom that's in a memory. The memory which is uh, is of her being rescued by Simon, which then stops and is a video playback. Um, it reminds me, you've seen, have you seen 2001? Yeah. The end of 2001 has of David Bowman when he's in the, when he's in the um, monolith uh, is keep switching perspectives where he sees someone and then he is that someone and he goes through that existence for a moment. Then he sees someone and he is that someone that he sees. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that that opening is so freaking impressive to me that that it starts with a logo and 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 just the perspective switching in that opening is just it's just it's just really, really just a, a, a stunning bit of cinema, in my opinion. I could see that it did. Um, I'll be honest; that aspect didn't jump out to me about it. Um, but now that you've explained it in that way, I'm like, oh yeah, that's a good point. That is kind of cool how he did it. Um, to me, what is far or what is just as impressive, um, except in a much more subtle, quote unquote, boring way, is how well he is able to put that much explication into a short period of time and essentially bring you up to date on one of the main plots of Firefly. 
um, oh, yeah. in a way that is still engaging. Uh, much in the same way as the second opening, which is to me the one that really just blew me away sure, because sure. it's pretty much just one follow shot. Well, which... and that's uh, but before we do the second opening, I do want to mention um, the introduction. There, there's the Joss scene, which I feel is the the operative scene right after the first opening, where the where it's sort of like the opening to um, Doctor Horrible, where it just goes, "Hey, this is Joss doing Joss stuff," which is the 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 whole people would fall on their sword. I didn't bring a sword. I did. You know, that, that, that whole thing is very much just in his comfort zone for his fans. I feel like that whole thing is sort of written specifically to delight me. Um, and then yes, they jump into, you know, the, the single, again, this astounding follow shot through the show. Well, I think this is the, and this follow shot is really, um, I think one of the first things that for many of us was like, Oh, okay. Joss Whedon can direct film. Um, because this was, I mean, because the previous stuff, it was, I mean, story-wise, uh, and script-wise, um, the, the moving from, you know, from logo to, uh, map to classroom to memory to all that stuff, that could have been done with a TV camera as well. Um, probably not as well, yeah. but, you know, we've seen similar effects. The, the whole thing of the... You know, however long that follow shot is in the ship, where every character is introduced in a short way that also tells you something about that character and also tells you what they're doing on the ship, like what their role is on the ship. And um, yeah, oh by the way, being the, the ship. Yeah. The ship and, you you get to see yeah. the whole ship. Yeah, and it all being done in one shot. Uh that to me is where the real artistry comes in because that's a combination of good script writing. Because it, uh, you know, it got all the information that you needed to in an engaging way, and also very good cinematography. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. Joss Whedon. He's the thing is he's he's not just a great writer. He's got a great visual eye. Oh, it's 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 a stunning, stunning opening. Um, I do wonder. Um, and this is you know I'm coming at this having heard criticisms of the film, both positive and negative. Um. Uh, the characters that we meet, are they the same characters from from Firefly? Because I would argue in many ways they've been boiled down to what they can be for this movie. Well, let's be clear. Serenity is not Firefly. Um, the yes. characters in Serenity are not the characters in Firefly. The ship in Serenity is not the ship in Firefly. The rules of the universe are not the same. There's sound in space in Serenity when there's no sound in space in Firefly. I would would argue with you that there's not sound in space in Serenity, that the final battle takes place in the atmosphere of a planet. But Isn't there sound sound, uh, when he shoots uh, at the Reavers? There's there's this kind of... it's not like a blast sound, like but like sort of like if the base was hitting you because of All right. the, the impact. So let's say that you can head. Ca- I I will I will agree with the head cannon that's in the commentary of oh technically it's in the atmosphere sure. sort of thing. So it's okay. But let's be clear, they did that because you know they did that because some studio sure, producers yeah. were like you're not going to have a space battle and not have sound. Yeah. Um. No. I I yeah. So. I, 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 I am headcanony, absolutely. Yeah. The, um, now, but here's the thing. Firefly, to me, is, and we talked about this before, the beauty of Firefly is the people sitting around the kitchen table. Um, it is, Firefly is, in many ways, a Western, where character development and plot development, it takes a while, and you can have these nice moments for the characters just to breathe. Um, you cannot have that in a sci-fi thriller. 
Um, or it's much, much harder to do. They, by necessity, had to streamline this. And I came away from the film of Serenity as a whole thinking, I really, really enjoyed that movie. It didn't hit me, in. it didn't push the same buttons that Firefly did. In some ways, it pushed different buttons and pushed them just as well. But uh, So to answer your question, no, they're not exactly the same characters, but they're, they are the same archetypes... Well, uh, I would seen through the filter of a different genre. I would say that 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 again, being as the the obvious comparison to Firefly is always going to be Star Trek. I mean, it is. It's it's the it's a ship of people, a ship of seven people going throughout the the universe doing stuff. That's going to be the compare the comparative. And so, if we're going to make that comparative, I would say that Serenity is to Firefly as uh, Star Trek First Contact is to Star Trek: The Next Generation. Yeah, that's um, that's a good comparison. You know, the 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 Picard in First Contact is swinging on things. He's shooting a machine gun. He's climbing. He's ripped. His like arms are super. He's in a mm-hmm. tank top climbing stuff as he's as he's you know breaking stuff and blowing away the Borg. And and- I don't think the concept of the Borg Queen would have worked in just the show. Yeah. Uh, if anything, the con- the Borg Queen sort of goes against the concept of the Borg. Hey, but watch, watch it the last three seasons the... of Star Trek Voyager if you want to see how the Borg Queen does not work for the show. <laughs> what? She's in it a lot. Um, uh, yeah, she is absolutely. That is, um, that is, is what I think you're looking at is that that you have these people who are who are they're action heroes now, um, mm-hmm. and and I think Wash makes it through pretty much the same. But like Mal is, uh, I think Mal is, is a, a a more pumped up version of Mal. I think that um, that I heard that they made Kaylee that they made Jewel State um, lose weight. Oh, she for, clearly did. I I, I don't know if they I don't know if they made her or not. Although that is also what I heard. But the the Iowa corn fed beauty of Kaylee from from Firefly was. I mean, don't get me wrong; she was still beautiful, but it was different. It was not the same Kaylee, um, yeah. just in terms of the look. Yeah. Um, uh, and I and I wept for the loss of it. Yeah. Uh, Jane is Jane is still pretty much Jane. He's a little bit of the comedy mule in this. Like they, yeah, they give well, him, I think what the they jokes. did was they got yeah, and they uh, Jane's not as much of the. I, I mean, they kept some he of does, his art. He does. He does betray them in this film. He is absolutely going to take River off of the ship, and and he just decides he's going to take her off the ship when she finally knocks him out later. So I think Jane's pretty much intact. I think that um, for the most part, I think that Wash is intact. Um, Zoe's not is only given stuff to do at the end. She's only a reactive character, which I, where I never saw her as such. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it, I, I I don't want to complain and say they're all totally totally different. But it is clearly a different, you know. I mean, Prince you rec- I mean, here's the thing: you recognize all of them. I mean, the sure. differences are the differences are pretty subtle. But I would say the biggest difference is Anara. There's no mention of sex with Anara. None. There's nothing. Well, that- I was listening to the commentary on this. The thing is, is that Inara is a, it. All of Inara's scenes and her arc were unfortunately the things that got left on the cutting room floor. For the sake huh. of the for the sake of the movie as a whole, like even uh, I remember reading somewhere like Morena Bakrin, she like was talking to Joss like practically in tears, and she was just like, "Was I a bad actress? Did I not do?" And Joss like felt terrible, uh, but he would. But and here's the thing: when it comes to movie making, um, as Justin, I'm sure you know, it is 
God, the rule of kill your darlings is such in play. And it's one of the reasons why I'm so thrilled by the advent currently of the miniseries. Like, Game of Thrones is able to do what it's able to do because it has all the time in the world. Because yeah. it's got seasons and seasons and seasons of it. Um, and Firefly, what? how many people were in the, in the crew? Nine? Like, from seven yeah, to nine? Like that, yeah. I'm sorry, you cannot make a two-and-a-half-hour film about a group of nine people and make sure that everybody gets the same amount of, like, arc time. I mean, even Ocean's Eleven, you had, like, you followed, like, four people, and then the rest just kind of were there to do their job and drop the occasional funny line. Well, and, and you know, the when it comes to, to Inara, um, what she does is so complicated. What Joss is trying to do with her character is so complicated. The fact is, she becomes a prostitute if you bring in what she is doing into the movie world. Like you have That's to say, a good point. Like, like the the nature of the companion is such a complex character yeah. type that you cannot do it justice. You're right yeah. because the because the stereotype, like the shallow stereotype, the shallow stereotype of Jane is you know mercenary for hire. That's okay. The shallow stereotype of companion Inara is high class hooker. And that yeah. is not okay. So yeah, you're right. That's a good point. And I, uh, so I think that was a good decision on their part. Um, we get to the the next scene where they're they're basically they're robbing a bank, uh, which I like. Uh, that it's it's that that it, this is the scene that feels the most like Firefly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they're they're robbing a bank, but Reavers attack and and they 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 have to flee from the bank. Uh, there are two questions I want to ask you about this scene. Um, and there, I'm mean, again. We could talk all about the scene about how funny it is. It has one of the great moments from the trailer. I need to see your authorization. Mm-hmm. Okay, you okay, know, it's great. <laughs> it's great. Um, but the two things I'm going to ask you are uh, are one, um, Reavers. Here they are. Do you like them? Does it work for you? Do they live up to the hype for you? Are they scary enough? Uh, there are there are those who say that that ultimately Reavers become fast running zombies in this in this movie where they were much scarier much much scarier in firefly uh what are well, you it's the there is to my mind there is literally only one time in the history of film in which the monster as seen in the light is just as scary as the monster in the shadows what time is that and alien uh, yeah. And that is entirely a tribute to Geiger's work. I mean, that creature, in whatever situation, like you can see it full on, and it just is terrifying, monstrous. Especially, uh, yeah. especially back then when you had not never seen anything like that before. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, the the, the golden rule is never show the monster. Um, so yeah, in that sense, the Reavers were, um, by making them a more present threat or yeah yeah essentially by showing and especially the fact that this attack happened during the day um that's you know, true so, so you're that's not true. just seeing it the might reavers have been, you're it seeing might... the, it, it is a bright sunny happy day that makes the reavers less scary individually but it does make the concept of them a little bit freakier in the sense that here was this beautiful ordinary day where everything was going fine and the, I mean I'm hearing the the song from Blazing Saddles of the town of Rock Ridge 
uh, you know, everything was lovely, and then suddenly out of nowhere, these maniacal killing machines come and just lay waste to the place like it was never there. Um, that, in abstract, is a terrifying concept. I but, think I it, it does make me think if they had shot the scene during the evening, um, if it might have been scarier. But look, they shoot it yeah, well. Short, an- short answer, no, the Reavers are not as scary when seen, but that's um, normal. But it, but it does occur to me, they're always in full light when we see them. Like, even at the end of the movie, they're in pretty full light when they see him. Like, there's a world where the power might have been flickering in Mr. Universe's, you know, place at the end of the movie. So it gets kind of that, you know, horror horror house monster movie feel. That's true. Um, uh, and, and they're always... I wonder if that was a question of budget. Because that's probably um, a lot harder to light. Uh could be. I mean, I mean, who who knows? But I, I don't want to say that they fail. They're, they they you get the sense of their threat. Yeah, uh, certainly. And maybe he didn't want them to be a horror threat. Maybe he wanted to. You know, maybe there's a part of him that wanted to humanize. The, I don't know. I think um, you know what you put it very well. You definitively get the sense that they're a threat, but you do not viscerally feel it the same way that you did as in the show. Yeah, you're not scared of them. Yeah. Um. Uh, and then the second thing I wanted to ask you, they have this wonderful, uh, this really great uh, um, escape scene where, you know, Mal makes an impossible shot because, of course, he does. And there's lots of funny stuff. But there is a thing that happens at the beginning of the scene where somebody grabs on yep. uh, to the mule as they escape um, and Mal pushes them off where the Reavers grab them. They're about to die and then Mal kills them. Um, it, when they're on the ship, uh, Zoe questions uh, whether or not they could have held him on the ship if they dumped their play- payload. And Mal's response is, we need the money. And what are they going to do to us if we don't do what we're supposed to do? Um, but uh, ultimately, this uh, the person who they throw off is the person who was almost a hero um, trying to save the day. Um, it's the same person. Um, and and Mal throws them off. Um, is that too dark too soon too early too soon for you for mal i get not at all i feel like that defines that defines mal very well i mean here's the thing the entire movie is really deals very nicely with morally gray i mean the fact is is mal comes out and the thing is from if you're familiar with mal from the show it's it's not that mal is a good guy he's not a hero the whole point of mal is that he is very much a reluctant hero. He does not want to be a big damn hero. Um, he, What he was in that situation was... Um, I mean, you can certainly spin it as he was a captain making a difficult decision, but making it very quickly. Um, in the sense that... Uh, you know, there was that sense of, okay, we either dump... You know, we can't keep him... Because then we'll slow down and the Reavers will catch us and keep us and kill us all. Okay, we could dump the loot, but if we do that, then none of us, um, then the odds of then the odds of all of us, you know, starving or, you know, running out of gas or something like that just go up astronomically. Like, you can see him Mal strikes me as somebody who is able to do that kind of moral calculus very, very quickly, which is a really, really important trait. For a battlefield sergeant or captain, I mean the yeah, people that the, the successful officers in the army are the ones who are able to cut their losses as quickly. You know, who are able to do the calculations, cut their losses, and do it without flinching, regardless of what 
they have to deal with, regardless of what internal monsters they have to deal with when everything is said and done. You know, I think the the problem that I had with it, um, the reason I feel like it's it's d- a darker Mal than the series is this, and and I think this is the fix that would have done it for me. If this guy was Alliance Security, I would have been down with it. But this is a guy who, ostensibly, you would think it's just like was going to the bank, and Mal showed up, and maybe Mal's the one that delayed him, and and and. Mal is like killed him. Um, so this guy is is really just a victim of yeah. Mal. That well, day. I think that's well. He's not a victim of Mal that day, and that's the crucial distinction. He is at the core of it. He is a victim of the Reavers. Yeah, I guess um, they would have shown up whether or not Mal was there. Exactly. And here's the thing: what that is, and this again goes into sort of that whole. Like, all of the great films about the West, to me, the ones that really jump out at me are, the fact is, the West was just a savage place. And the concept of survival as a, you know what, I'm going to save who I can, but ultimately, the unspoken rule was, you know, if it's you or me, it's going to be me. And it was that kind of, like... It wasn't so much that Mal deliberately killed an innocent. It was more that it was more to me. It was more meant to highlight that this is a world like this part of the galaxy is an area where innocents just get killed sometimes for no reason other than um, just being in the wrong place at the right time or at the yeah. wrong time, which I also do- which also flies in the face of what everything the Alliance keeps saying about saying, see, we've got peace, everything's fine, everything's totally under control, nothing bad happens to good people. Yeah, and I guess I guess the movie is treating it responsibly in that the movie does not want us to be okay with that choice. Mm-hmm. Like, like Zoe Or at the very least, the, the movie, yeah, the fact is the movie calls Mal to task for it and... I okay. I also this because jumps because right Zoe's, into the- Zoe's response is is to him is I don't disagree with you on any particular point, but he doesn't convince her. Yeah, and that's the thing is it's sort of like the we need to we need to acknowledge that it's sort of like okay everything you've just said makes sense, and yet it just feels so wrong. Um, that's a very human thing. Uh, I I love the moral. Uh, the moral back and forth in this. Uh, this, to me, I have to use this to jump off into talking about the operative. Uh, sure, to yeah. me, is a phenomenal villain because my best, my feeling is, with very, very rare exception, the best villains think they're the good guys. Um, I'm reminded of, I forget what's, I think it was the Amber series, a series of novels in which there is a character who sees the world as it is, which is pretty terrible and rough. And he's a character, he's, he's got superpowers and magic. Um, and he sees, he has this vision of where it could be, and he knows what he must do in order to get it there. And it's not pretty. Uh, and there's a phrase that jumped out at me in the novels because it was so close to something that the operative said, uh, which he said, and what he said was, there will be no place for me in this bright future that I'm trying to build. uh, Essentially, like the operative was saying, it's just like, no, there will be no place for me there. I'm a monster. Uh, But but the the guy in the novel says, uh, 
You know, he says, but until that world comes, my hands will not be clean, nor will they be idle. I think that that's, and, and that's a brilliant, I, I love that there's another novel that does this, because I think that, you know, we're all taught in acting school, you know, that that even the bad guy thinks they're the good guy. Um, this takes it a step further. The bad guy knows they're the bad guy mm-hmm. and is willing to be the bad guy because they think it's for the greater good. It's As a phenomenal a, archetype. You'll see it every now and then. Um, the uh, Like he's almost sad about it. He's almost sad yeah. that he has to do what he has to do. I mean, you have to think to to take it to a particularly like dark level or something like you have to imagine that there are plenty of soldiers who are put in this exact situation, yeah. uh, particularly when you deal with enhanced interrogation, quote unquote, enhanced interrogation and stuff like that. It's like, no, and I'm not even, you know me, I'm very much an idealist. I'm a pacifist in many, many ways. Uh, I really do. I have doubled down on the quote unquote naive belief that love saves the world in my own life. I really have. And yet... I acknowledge, God, there's probably been a few moments in history where someone had to do something really, really effing evil for a greater good. I wish I could remember what movie it was. I almost want to think it was not a movie, but like Magneto talking in the X-Men comics where someone asks him the old, you know, could you go back in time and murder Hitler as a baby? Mm-hmm. And the answer being yes, without a second moment, with, with without a second's hesitation. Yes. Yeah. Um. Uh, which is that's that's the operative. So yeah. Also, it's worth noting, you got like this unknown actor who is now like a giant star, Academy Award winner, like like Chiwetel Ejiofor. Yeah, is, he was on. Un- he was unknown in the states. He was pretty big in England already. But he was not what he is now. No. Um. Uh. And is just so great. I'm just so. Mm-hmm. So good. Like he's, he elevates everyone around him in every scene he's in. He elevates, like he is captivating every, like every breath this man takes is, is stunning in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's, you know, to find an actor that nobody here knew that can do that to an audience that is already in love with the cast that they're seeing. That's hard. That's yeah. like, that's like, you know, Wrath of but Khan. It was, it was absolutely of, of, going with well, the right call, though. You wanted yeah. a very, you wanted a very smart actor who could do that. And quite frankly, I, I mean, I hate to say this as an American actor, but if you want somebody who makes smart choices as an actor, you're going to have better luck if you cast British. Oh yeah, well they're just smarter than us. Well yeah, it, it it, yeah. It just <laughs> um, there's a retcon uh, right after that <laughs> where where uh, where. Um, where uh, and it's a funny scene, but um, Jane is talking about uh, Reavers. You know, they used to say that they they went to the edge of space and they went nuts. I've been to the edge and there was just more space. Now this is absolutely not what they said in in the show. The show was that yes, they went to the edge. Everybody kind of believed that that was probably what was up. Um, this is the first inkling that you get that that's not the case. And I did feel, especially this viewing, I felt. The sense of, okay, we need to acknowledge that what we're doing with the Reavers is not what the show said that they were. So here we are. We're just we're just going to we're just going to you know shine a light on it. We're just going to say this is what's going on. We're openly retconning what we the said Im- the Reavers were. The impression that I got though, even from both the show and the movie, was it was just like yeah, no one really knows. It's sort of like the 
you know, it's it, it adds to the Reaver's legend when no one really knows what the origin is. So, of course, there's prevailing theories, you know, that people tell around the proverbial campfires. But in but this I, movie, I, I mean, but even they... in the even in, in neither Firefly nor the movie did I get the impression that that was like the accepted belief. I got well. I remember them saying that on the show, and I got the sense that this scene was specifically to address that they had said that on the show. I just I feel the scene saying, "Hey." It's not that. You may have thought it was that, but it's not that. It's just sort of the sense I got watching that no, scene. That's possible. Didn't bother you at all? No. No. Um, okay, so they fly to Maidenhead, um, where uh where some you know crafty dealings happening. Um, and River is triggered and River gets in a big giant fight. Um, and it's really cool, and we get to see her do all sorts of Buffy fighting, which is awesome, except we get to see mm-hmm. what Joss can do, jo- what Joss can do with Buffy fighting with a budget. Um, yeah. I, I want to talk about that fight. pretty awesome. But the first thing I want to talk about, Fruity Odie Bars. I love Fruity Odie Bars. I love the song. I want, to, I want that song to be my ringtone on my phone. I just my, When my phone goes off, I want to hear Fruity Odie Bars. And well, I just love it. I mean, really, what's what's great about it is it's it's a very you know even in the future, commercials from China and Japan are just crazy stupid happy. I mean, it's so- I, I it's one of the things I've always loved so much about this universe is that they really they did a very good job of actually melding Western and Eastern <laughs> pop culture together in this weird amalgamation. Oh yeah, well, and 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 they they. With the exception of the scene, I feel like they don't. The Chinese thing is really not done. This scene does have a lot of it, which I which I enjoy. Um, uh, and then Rivers fight. Uh, I there are people who complain that it seems so staged, so choreographed, so it doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem you know really like like an intense fight. Um, for those of us who are giant Buffy fans, I mean this this I loved this. I could watch this all day long. I think this fight is so much fun. Um, she does kill a dude in the fight. She absolutely mm-hmm. stabs a guy in the gut. Um, but like, do you think the fight doesn't live up to like, would you go with what people have said about the fight, not living up to, you know, the standards of what, uh, a feature film. I was know, neither, I was neither unenthused nor blown away by any of the combat in this movie. I'm just coming out at the same time as Jason Bourne. Right. So. So one would think that that maybe it would be more like that. I'm I yeah, here's to... the Jason Bourne the the Jason Bourne effect was tremendously effective once and has since been used as as an excuse for sloppy choreography ever since. Yeah. Um. I mean, here's the thing. My personal preference. Um. I appreciate what they were trying to do with the Jason Bourne thing of like giving that sense of total chaos and oh god, it's a fight. You don't know what's happening. My personal view is thing as a viewer is. No, I, I want to see what's happening. I want to see uh, one move leading to the next. I want to see... Uh, the thing that's really, really hard to do in any fight, stage or film, is not just show very clearly how one move leads to the next, leads to the next, but to see the thought decisions but behind every move. A, go- a truly, truly good fight needs to reveal character choice in the same degree as a good conversation does. Um, it just has to happen at a much faster speed. Um, I thought that this particular fight was... I mean, it was hampered. Its emotional effect is hampered by the fact that River has just sort of been switched on and is now, you know, more of a machine than a human. 
um, inner mental thoughts for this. Um, so it's not really a fight that you can use to sort of show a character uh, arc. Um, but uh, yeah, I didn't find it particularly amazing or or poorly wrought one way or the one way or the other. Um, you know, I I feel like I I mean I'm a I'm a sucker for cool looking fight choreography. I really do love it. Um, my movies are filled with what I think is is sometimes a pretty cool looking fight choreography. Um, uh, what I feel like a movie of this caliber, the it, it had the thought process, it had the choreography, it was missing the crunch a little bit. The, That's I didn't a very feel good way. Impact. Put, the, the crunch is a really good way of putting it. Yeah. Um, it's the, yeah, it's sort of the, you, at no point was there a hit that made me wince. Yeah. Later there is. I mean, the Mal and the operative fight at the end. There yes, are fight, I, there, yeah. I have some thoughts about that fight too. Yeah, but. we'll get we'll get to that. Okay, so they they leave Maidenhead. Uh, they bring uh, you know, we can talk you know really briefly. They 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 tell River and River and Simon, that's it, you're leaving the ship. And ten minutes later, okay, come back with us. Yeah. Um, um, uh, a bunch of a bunch of stuff. Um, a bunch of stuff happens. Jane, uh, Jane is is gonna betray them, and you know, do you want to leave the ship? Yes, love it. Um, uh, is going to take River with him. Um, all this stuff happens, and I could spend all the time talking about this stuff because it's really interesting character stuff that happens there. Um, but I want to just jump to the next big thing that happens is they speak to Mister Universe. Um, about sending the uh the like send like gi- he gives them all the information they need, and he's. I'll all be the, honest, all- Mister Universe to me was a purely utilitarian character. He was a yeah, plot he- device. Yeah, did he like? Did he work for you? Like, I like the actor. The actor. I mean, doing interesting yeah, the stuff. actor was fine. He didn't not work for me. He was kind of vaguely interesting. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, again, there are so many characters in this that I'm just like, yeah, don't introduce somebody new and then expect me to care about them. I'm already emotionally invested already in a bunch of other folks. So you know, it um, sounds like you don't dig him that much because I kind of do. I kind of like his vibe, and I I think it's just the performance. But I think think sometimes that's enough. I'm just digging the the energy. I, I found him charming. I found him charming, um, but uh, I will admit that the the scenes that he was in did not particularly grab me. Huh. Um, uh, there is one thing I want to talk about on uh, just one moment um, that I love um, uh, the Joss inversion, the Josh, the, the the Joss irony moment where you know where he plays the first half of a conversation which is very cliche, and the second half of conversation is totally not. Um, Simon is talking to River at one point as she's talking about Miranda and he goes, who's Miranda? Am I talking to Miranda right now? And River makes this face like, dude, dude what's wrong with you? What kind dude. of super... You know, it's funny that you say that that was the Justin version because the scene that I was thinking of as soon as you mentioned that was uh, when they're on Inara's planet and the agent is like, see, I come here in peace. I'm unarmed. Bam! And Mal's like, good. Bam! And shoots him. Uh, which to me also really captures Mal's character. He is eminently prag he is not an honorable man, but he is eminently pragmatic. Yeah. I and and I I agree that that moment um uh is is good. I think it's I think it's sort of diluted by the fact that it kind of happens a second time. Um and the same thing with the with her going the the dude face cuz she kind of makes that face in the in the um in the the bank heist as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I'm not going to complain that you know. Hey, here are two great things. I hate that there are two because it would have been better if it was one. I mean, I like them both. Yeah. Um, uh, they go to Haven. 
they meet with Shepard Book and his people. Um, I'm going to come out and say, for me, this is the least effective movement of the film. Um, the fact that Shepard Book is gone, him and his people, I don't care about them. I feel like he's being shoehorned in to go, hey, we didn't forget about Shepard Book. Like, we'll, yeah. just ha- we'll have Ron Glass come to work for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. You know, I it feels very much like a I cameo. mean the de- I mean here's the thing the death of Shepherd Book was it was tremendous like it and it wasn't just a fridging um it was it was powerful it was powerful to us um and it also was a tremendous way of really just um pushing Mal into making that reckless decision yeah, as a matter of fact, let's do this because I was going to talk about some of the other things that happen in Jane's, you know, betrayal, sudden inevitable betrayal of them um, that doesn't go right. Um, and I like it would be fun to talk about River as being the alien on the ship because they do kind of have that for a moment. But let's mm-hmm. just stay on ha- on on Haven because um, let's just skip all of that. I just want our listeners to know I know that that stuff happened to the film, and if this was going to be a ten hour podcast, we'd talk about that stuff. The goal I, the goal of this sort of thing is to talk about what jumped out, you know. And like you said, we could spend 10 hours on it, but what yeah. we want to do now is we're going to talk about what jumped out at us the most. So so while Haven didn't work, Book's death, when they, they leave Haven, some stuff happens, they come back to Haven, um, and Shepard Book is dead. Um, or he's dying. Um, again, his performance is really good. Mal's performance is really good. And everything that happens after he dies is really good. Um but I feel that the scene for me, one, I didn't care about all the people that are dead on the ground. Two, how convenient that everybody is dead on a desert planet except Shepard Book, who has been just injured just then. And they arrive mm-hmm. just moments before he dies. Yeah. Um, uh, it all, maybe if I was more horrified about the other people that had been killed. Maybe I would have been emotionally engaged to the point where I wouldn't have noticed all of those conveniences. But- I mean, I was, I'm willing to hand wave the conveniences for the sake of, because it was clearly, so. I mean, that's a very archetypical plot moment there. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, it, it, it fell. I found myself going, oh man, he died. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it, yeah, let's be, let's be clear. The, the death of book did not hit. I think it did not hit either of us or possibly any of us as viscerally as Wash's death does. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that him being a cameo and ki- kind of being off the ship and the fact that I feel like he was, this is a character who has been disserviced the entire time. Well, here's the thing with that character is that everyone always thinks, oh, let's have the pre- let's have the wandering doubtful preacher as a character without fully realizing just how difficult a character that is to integrate, to develop, to, um, you know, you, you get him on there and suddenly you don't know what to do with him except to have him sort of spout quasi-religious platitudes. Um, it is, no, and again, that's because it is really, really hard to do that. Um, and, I, and I want to be clear, I like almost every line the book says you'll the, the 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 you'll have to you'll have to tell me someday about how you know about that part of the world. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I yeah. love that. I love that. I love the performance. I love Ron Glass. Ironically, the only line that I didn't enjoy from Ron Glass in the entire film was "I don't care what you believe in, just believe." Um, that's not what Shepherd Book would believe, unless well, yeah, he was pretending it, to be a shepherd. 
I mean, and again, and here's the thing. You know me. I'm pretty much a humanitarian. I'm very much a, uh, you know, I'm fascinated with all forms of human belief. But to me, that concept is, I, I see what he was going for, but it waters down the power. It's just like, I don't care what you believe in. Just believe. No, there's there's plenty of shit you should not believe in. Like, there's plenty of ideas you should not lend your loyalty to. Um, although that I, that clearly wasn't what he was meaning. He was yeah. trying to get he was trying to get Mal to care about something. So I guess what I'm saying with it is, I saw the purpose of the line. I think the purpose of the line was very good for what Mal was doing. I think he could have written a better one. Yeah, I agree, and I feel like, and I feel like, you know, it's not what Some, Shepard you know, book was oh, about. Even if it's just, you know, hey, you know, even if it's just some things are worth believing in, um, that carries more punch. After, Ex- excuse me, while I just tell Joss Whedon, you know, what he yes. should have written instead. Seriously, dude, come get on, some chops, come on, <laughs> get some chops, my favorite screenwriter ever. Um, <laughs> uh, um, the moments after Book's death are, um, are among my favorite in the film mal after his death mal's just just darkness in this you see mal losing it um the way he he is just like stringing people up the way that that kaylee's reaction to him uh zoe's reaction to him um uh the fact that you know that he that he says you know he, he says he says any of you who who isn't you know doing what i say or or taking your leave i will shoot you down Get mm-hmm. to work. It's just here's the, here's the thing: Mal and the operative really are two sides of the same coin. Um, I love the conversation that Mal and the operative have after this moment. Uh, you know, where Mal is just like, "I don't kill children," and the agent, with this wonderful sorrow in his voice, says, "I do." I do. When um, I have to. Yeah, but the uh, but yeah, but then Mal turns around and has those same innocent people. But again, like I said, he is fearlessly pragmatic. He's like, nope, they're dead now. Um, just, you know, we're going to put them to use. Put them on the ship, you know, yeah. so that we can mask his root. Like, he is, in many ways, when Mal is driven, he is willing to make all kinds of moral sacrifices. Um, Agreed. But uh, but that doesn't necessarily but but it doesn't make him a bad guy. It's it it's what makes him such a fascinating character. Um, they take the ship uh, through River Space. I watched it on um on my big screen uh, here, and one of the things I noticed this time around, there's this light that tracks them as they're going as they're flying through, as they're kind of being inspected as they're flying through River Space. Mm-hmm. And there's this one shot behind the light when you realize the light is shining across just like hundreds of bodies strung up in front of it. Um, like burnt bodies just strung up. And I had never noticed it before, but it's this, this little detail that even this far into the movie, I was just like, ah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, whoa, dude. Yeah. I mean, and interestingly, the Reaver fleet just laying there silently. That was a scary makes scene. Them, that's a, that's a much scarier scene. And, um, and a silent scene. Where nothing yes. makes any noise in space, the silence in space. Yeah. Um, used so, except you hear Reaver radio, <laughs> like like mm-hmm. like re- the the Reavers are clearly torturing people and broadcasting the tortures, yeah. um, which just makes me th- which which there- kind of makes sense that that's what they would do. Well, it it you know I think this is I mean we can I want to spend a minute on the Reavers since we'll never will again. Um, 
like a lot of conversations have been had over on Trekoff about Klingons and how do Klingons ever build ships? How do they ever get warp drive? Like, like what? How would how would a race that is intent on honor, 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 fight, 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 ever get to the point where somebody would have to you know, you have to study engineering for years before you are good enough to actually do something that would get you honor? Um, so, so the mm-hmm. you take that to the nth degree with the Reavers, like how the the question it does fall apart if you start going how do they operate ships? Whose job is it to hold the microphone? Um, you know. Who's turning yeah, on the I think it's the I think it works better. I, I think it works easier for them than you would think. Primarily because they when they were normal, they had that knowledge. They had access to an entire planet's worth of ships to build their fleet initially, and then they just take whatever they want. Um to me, the thing about a reaver that's um frightening is that the whole thing that makes them so scary is that they are not mindless zombies there is a brain the computer the completely amoral computer side of the human brain is still fully functional in there because they're not um, just taking pieces of ships they're engineers they're making they're engineers their, their they're making it better work together with they, the, yeah. with the, with the aim of doing even more damage and in terms of like do i think that they have a conversation over who holds the microphone this time no, but I wonder like, if they do. But there's a there's a pack. I, I think it's more of a pack mentality. There's this, See, sense, there's, you know, like with wolves, you just like certain wolves, they just instinctively know based on the situation, this is where I go to benefit the pack. How messed up is it though if they do have the conversation? Like you, like you've seen, you know, people when you know they go play a sport or they, you know, or they go do violence, they go into battle, they're screaming, yelling, monsters, but when they're done, they're still talking. What if it is a bunch of just like. Like essentially aggressive. We want to hurt. Okay, what what can we do now? Who are we aiming for now? Who are we I, gonna get? See, to me, okay. I don't I don't necessarily think that with the Reavers because that requires self reflection, and to me, the whole point of them is that they are completely past. There there is no introspection. Yeah. There is no there is no let's go back to the playbook and think about how we could do that better. Everything is just pure gut reflex. But they can um, work, but they can work as a team but they to can accomplish work as technological marvels. Yes. Um like ants. Interesting. Yeah. Um, um that's what I would say. I mean Reavers are phenomenal villain. Phenomenal, yeah. truly, truly horrifically scary villain. Well, let's talk real quick about when they when they get to Miranda. Um they show up, um, everybody's dead. Uh, this is maybe one place where the budget shows itself in that I am never emotionally affected by everybody who laid down and died. And I think some of it is some of the, the dead folks are, they don't quite work for me. The, the one that's really, it's kind of the, they just, they just land at like one office built. You don't see a whole city. You don't see like New York city with bodies in the streets. You just see one office. It's just an office building. I'll be, I'll tell you what it is. It's a high school. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's, it's actually, like it's like they walked into Dunder Mifflin and everyone had just laid down and died. It is it it is shot at Diamond Ranch High School in uh, Pomona, California, um, which has been featured in The Cell, Orange County, Live Free or Die Hard, The Thinning, and Serenity. Um, I wonder if it was also I don't think it was part of Buffy, but yeah, it's they literally show up at a high school. Yeah, um, and that makes and, so much sense now that. And, I'm, and yeah. they and they say there are cities everywhere. 
you know that's that's sort yeah. of what you get <laughs> although it's like that there's this wonderful movie called transmorphers um where where i haven't seen it but my understanding is that like you see a car pull up and then they pull back to the main characters and they go look at that car he's transforming into a giant robot <laughs> <laughs> um so they they do they do kind yeah. of yeah there's a little bit but also bit the the big scary moment they're supposed to be that you know behind kaylee is a is a dead body like face like sort of crammed up against a window and that's mm. supposed to drive home the horror of this um and the face is a little silly yeah um doesn't and quite I, work and i think that's all it takes sometimes to make mm-hmm. it to make it not work the skeletons on the ground worked for me oh man the um, thing is like dread is such a fragile emotion to nurse it requires yeah. and that's why that's why a truly good i mean here's the thing anyone can make a horror film that just gives you the jump scare and makes it go ah but the ones who can nurse the dread, that requires a level of artistry. That is yeah. because it's, as you say, all it takes is one bad makeup job or one scene that lingers too long or one lighting effect that shows a little too much. And suddenly, all of your work of the past 10 minutes is ruined. And I do sort of feel like I've, if I could cut out that one shot, and I know I know you know what I'm talking about, where it's like up against the window. You yeah. cut that one up and you just shot, showed shots of you know people with their heads down on their desks. Yeah, you know, that worked for me. I mean, ironically was... enough, having the—I mean, I understood the the realism of well, of course they would start rotting or mummifying by now, so of course that's how they look. But I mean, can you imagine just walking into, um, you know, an office and it's just people, just dead, you know, lying yeah. dead. Christ, work, in, you know, walk into a kindergarten and there's just a bunch of kids that have just laid down. No, oh, dude, right? What's wrong with you? Huh? <laughs> You're Sorry, messed up. Excuse me. Yeah, I'm. Just, I'm. Hey, don't mind me. I'm just improving on the work of the master. What? That's right. That's right. Yeah. You, you've um, given this some thought. Um, I, uh, <laughs> um, I do want to say just because it's become sort of our tradition that we've got to bring in at least one thing from TVTropes.org every time. Sure. Yes. Uh, I was looking through the tropes that applied, and my favorite one from Serenity was uh, a Soptonym. Uh, and that is a modified subtrope of phlebotanum. And phlebotanum is a trope that we're going to be dealing with a lot in Totally Super. Uh, phlebotanum is any substance or item or something it's vaguely scientific that can be applied to further a plot element. The packs. Uh, the packs. And the thing is, asoptonym, because uh, basically it's phlebotanum except with the word asop in it, is a substance that is used to further a moral question. In the plot. Huh. And that is definitively what the PAX is. Is the PAX basically exists to really bring home the the, the central moral thesis of the movie, which is that the Alliance in the end were the bad guys because they believed they could make people better than what they were. Which in its sense is really kind of twisted. Um, yeah. In a sense, this kind like it kind of is sort of it Mal's viewpoint that no people are never going to get better than what they are is kind of bleak and nihilistic when you think about it yeah and yet the bad guys in this one are the ones who tried to make a better world but maybe but again it's not like they gave the people of Miranda a choice in the matter no, I, 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 and I think that's, you know, that can be taken back to everything that you felt the Alliance was doing and trying to control the outer worlds. Mm-hmm. 
you know, yeah, I, I mean, the Alliance is the example of what we talk a lot about. It's the constant uh, combat between order and chaos. And that's huge in this, uh, both in Firefly and in Serenity. It's the constant struggle. Um, because on the one hand, you've got the Alliance, which are the example of order gone to the nth degree and the horrors that that can create. On the other end, you've got the Reavers, which are the true example of what happens if you set chaos to the nth degree and just how horrible that is. And it's about people who are just trying to figure out how to live somewhere in between. Um, they, uh, they eventually go and they find the, the, the most horrifying. And again, it's what you don't see that's horrifying. Um, the hologram where it's all this is described ends mm-hmm. with uh, Sarah Paulson, the actress uh, um, in the in the hologram, being attacked by Reavers, trying to kill herself, failing, and then being you assume as they they like to say in the show, raped to death, um, or uh, eaten alive, or eaten alive, or whatever, um, uh, whatever it is that they're doing that's horrible um, is happening, and it's awful because they just show you they don't show you what they're doing, they show you the crews reaction mm-hmm. to it um, i'm sorry all i can it's totally not appropriate but uh, all i can remember is uh an early episode of tosh.0 where tosh was saying it's like because he's got like an, a live audience there and he says all right so for this next web video i've been informed by my sensors that i cannot actually show two girls one cup oh what i can't what I can show, well, yeah. What I can show is your reaction to two girls, one cup, which yeah. is much, much. I have, I have never seen two girls, one cup. I have no desire to. But watching the reaction of the crowd was far more effective in generating a laugh, in much the same way that watching the reaction of the crew is far more effective in generating horror. Um, the it's Jane who yells, "Turn it off!" He can't take it anymore, which I find very interesting. Oh, yeah. That, uh, we, I mean, that, that really choice. drives home, though. Um, it reminds yeah. me... Have you seen uh, True Detective? No. They're, oh, great. The first season, absolutely worth watching. Dark, 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 dark. But there is a scene in it when the detectives find a video of, uh, like, horrible stuff that this cult has done to, like... It's implied to, like, little kids. And the... And they, it basically, it always shows the characters starting the video. You see their reactions. They never show the video. Or they'll show like a little glimpse that doesn't really show anything. There's a point later on when they are trying to get a guy who'd sort of helped out the bad guys. Um, they, they try to get him to, to flip to, you know, to, to, give him in, to give them the information that they need. And the way that they do it is they force him at gunpoint to sit down and watch the video. And, you know, and basically have him realize just how horrible it is. And again, it's that sort of thing where by just watching the reactions of the people, it creates, like, it drives home just how horrifying it is in a way that actually showing a video never would have. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's, 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 the, it's the toughest scene in the movie. Um, right after this, River's fine. She's like, I'm okay now. Um, this has never bothered me until this last viewing where I was mm-hmm. just kind of like, what you're so f- being on Miranda and knowing that you've remembered Miranda, which you weren't supposed to re- remember. That's all it took. All the stuff like the, everything that we said the the Alliance was doing to you was actually them suppressing this memory that made you crazy. Uh, uh, it, it did. 
It, it only does bother- seem convenient. It bothered me for the very first time now. And I've seen the movie probably 15 times. I'll tell no. you, you know what? You make a very good point with it. I will say I am still totally okay with it because by that point I was so tired with crazy with batshit crazy River that I yeah. was like, you're okay now? We don't need to deal with River saying weird things and then just like going off with weird looks and everybody commenting about it? Thank God. Um. So, so yeah. So they're fine. They go back through River's face. Um, we see that uh, Mr. Universe has betrayed them. Uh, they go, and finally we get the big space battle. Um, I love that uh, the the moment um, when the Reavers uh, come through the cloud, and and you just have the arrogance of the operative, uh, mm-hmm. where, where he's just like, uh, "Poor bastard, even isn't even isn't even changing course." Yeah, and then they all come I mean, through. It's Chagan, a, the, the Reavers, Chagan, somebody shoot somebody. Yeah, the, the look on the operative's face is such a gratifying moment because you're right. Yeah. It is the moment where the guy who was in supreme control the whole time loses it because suddenly he's presented with something just beyond his comprehension. Yeah. Um. Uh. This is Joss Whedon's first big action scene. He's tried it on TV before. He's his. I feel like on Buffy, his um his reach always exceeded his grasp. Yes. Um, I feel like he was just never able to do what he wanted to do on the television budget and that he was always thinking giant and epic. And mm-hmm. I think and, and this is, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll regale you with a quick story. When I was making Ninjas versus Monsters, we were doing a big scene and uh, and uh, my friend Will, who you've met, um, uh, came up to me and he said, Justin, I uh, I love these movies, but I don't think these are the kind of movies you should be doing. And that's all he said. And I and I and I sat down. and thought about it. I've talked to him about it later. And what he essentially said, he said, you know, you're trying to make a big, like Hollywood action movie, and mm-hmm. you're never gonna get there. And that's why low budget movies do so well with horror. And 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 in terms of of being on a television budget, the stuff he tried to do. Think about the final episode of Buffy. Or yeah. You think about, no, like, you're like, absolutely right. It's the. I mean, the first time. I mean. Even Game of Thrones, with HBO money, has had some battles that have fallen, that have fallen flat. Not last week's though. Um, um, so, oh, I will say this: for any battle in Game of Thrones, once you've seen it, there are numbers of YouTube videos about how they were made. Um, there's one for the most recent battle that showed how it's made, um, and the technical wizardry that is being pulled off both in mechanical and practical effects along with um digital effects is so incredibly impressive to oh, see that sounds after very the cool um so wherever you are in the show um uh do yourself a favor if you're if you're a film person um and watch how some of this stuff is done because they've very done cool. a, re- a really good job documenting that that being said um this is jo- the first time somebody handed Joss money and was like okay what do you want to do mm-hmm. and man does he pull it off i think so yeah um uh the the have you re- you read ender's game i assume right yes the book Ender's Game, uh, uh, Ender talks about the way that he always wins is he gets people thinking about the way a battle should happen and that the enemy's gate is down. The enemy's gate is down. And this time watching, I kind of realized that was true about what um, Wash and Mal and Joss were doing in the space battle and that all Serenity was trying to do was get we'll to the get surface. There. Yeah, He's just going, it's all the way in the atmosphere and it's trying to go down. 
Um, mm-hmm. And that was so... Oh, I see. Yeah, especially the, um, just for clarification for the listeners. So what you're saying is not the enemy's gate is down in the sense that it's open. It's that the enemy's gate is, is physically you, below you're you. looking down you're which gives you height advantage yes and you're and you're constantly just trying to go downward um mm-hmm. and you get this sense in this battle which you know i i love things like i mean star wars is is something that i that i love a lot but like before they get in the death star trench what the hell are they doing in that space battle above the De- death star they're kind of just flying around yeah like, you don't you don't get the sense what anybody's doing and even even the battle in um in Force Awakens or in Rogue One, you don't always get the sense of like they're just all kind of fighting and flying around. This really mm-hmm. this battle really gives me the sense of they're up and they're just trying to weave their way through all of this chaos. Yeah. Um, and they do it and the cinematography of it is, I mean, Wash makes the uh makes Serenity bob and weave in a very erratic, non smooth fashion, which is really kind of cool to watch. There's a character moment in this where they lose power because of an EMP. The ship's uh is on its way to crash. The rest of the crew goes to buckle in, and Mal calls on Jane to uh check and make sure everybody's buckled in, and he does it. Oh and, yeah, that's a good and point. He, he runs. He's throwing stuff out of the way, but he's going up to everyone. He's saying check, 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 check. That could have been any character. That that should have been Zoe, frankly. Um. Jane, second episode of Firefly, would have buckled himself in and been like, screw you, you do it. Yeah. Um, I think it says something about Jane. And it, uh, it, I mean, it's, you're, you're right. It also says something about the training of the crew, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it does say something about the training of the crew, but to specifically make it Jane, I mean, he wrote those yeah. words. He filmed that scene. That scene is its own you know, quarter day mm-hmm. setup to show him doing all of that. Yeah, that's, that's you true. Know, to specifically should, I mean, that in itself shows Jane as a team guy. No. Which he was not before. So it's That's a very good know, point. I hadn't noticed that. The ship crashes um gracefully as possible as Wash is saying, I'm a leaf on the wind. Watch how I soar. Um my heart starts to break a little bit the minute he says that the first time. Um mm-hmm. the ship the ship uh before we get to what happens to him, the ship is 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 just beat the shit out of. Yeah. Just like like it is like you know there's no coming back from this now because one of the mm-hmm. engines is gone yeah. um uh the ship comes to a halt uh the scene inside of serenity goes completely red it's all just red light mm-hmm. as wash says i'm a leaf on the wind watch how i and then alan Tudyk doesn't have more lines in the, yeah. in the script um mm-hmm. he's strangely absent for the rest of the movie um wash's death your thoughts um incredibly powerful incredibly impactful uh i will say it's i mean there's a lot to parse in this there's a lot of effects that it had like on zoe as a character and things like that as a viewer i loved the fact that or as a viewer um that the fact that zoe is about to grieve and mal's like we do not have effing time which also means that as the viewer, you don't get a moment. You, It happens so fast. There's this moment of what the hell, and then you can't process it because immediately they're moving on to the next thing, um, which is great because it really captured that sense of panic. Um, but what that death did for me then, I remember specifically thinking, oh my God, every that's how he's going to end this. Every single one of these guys is going to die. 
It's going to be um, Magnificent Seven. That's going yeah, to be there's a there's a ta- you know there's a, there's the concept of uh, the bubble around certain characters. Uh, I can't believe I'm doing. I can't believe I'm mentioning this, but in the in the old now non-canon Star Wars novels, the which novel, are the, which are the reasons we're friends. Yes, let's be clear. The, uh, the novel where Chewbacca was killed, which again doesn't actually happen anymore. That's now a separate timeline or whatever. Um, Han specifically was talking to Leia about saying, he's like, up till this point, you, me, Lando, Chewie, Luke, there was just like this bubble that I thought nothing was ever going to happen to us. And he's like, and now that that bubble is burst, like, I, every moment I feel like I'm going to lose all of you. Um, and that was really, so like case in point, when Simon gets gut shot a few minutes later, I want to, when Simon gets gut shot a few minutes later, I'm convinced, oh, he's dead. Okay, so uh, so I want to talk about that because you you're absolutely right. That is the reason that Wash dies. Um, there are some people that feel like his death is unfair. People who feel like his death is is meaningless. Um, they put it up there with uh with Anya's death at the end of Buffy. Oh, I um, think it's very different than Anya's death. Very different. Um, uh, I w- and by the way, that's a death that really bothered me. Um, mm-hmm. as well. Um, uh, I have gone back and forth, but I would say it's it is an incredibly affecting death and and it's meant to break your heart it should break your heart yeah um but what i love about it is that it's not it was not a death that you know because people give joss a lot of grief for just like stop killing off characters randomly just to get an emotional moment out of me that he didn't just kill wash to get the emotional moment make you go aha see one of your characters is dead it was because suddenly the threat, everybody's vulnerable. The everybody's threat vulnerable. for the rest, uh, and by choosing Wash especially, like Wash or Kaylee, those yeah. were the two that uh, that would have affected you the most. And uh, and for the rest of the film, you have no, you are actually now, as a viewer saying, I have no idea who else is making it out of this. Now I am going to um, talk about uh, outside of Haven. What after multiple viewings works for me the least, which the first time I were I watched it works for me the most, which is the fake uh, Magnificent Seven. Everybody's going to die ending that this movie has because everybody gets a death scene in this movie. Absolutely everybody except for Mal and even Mal somewhat gets a death scene. They go, uh, Zoe leaves the line because she's so broken up about Wash, and a reaver slices her through the back. Zoe's dead, except, no, she's not. We're going to pull her over. And then uh, and then Simon and and Kaylee say their, their final touching things that they want. And Kaylee's like, I'm going to live. And then boom, 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 poison darts in the neck. Kaylee's dead, except, no, no, she's not. And then Jane tries to save Zoe and shot in the arm. Boom, falls back. Looks like maybe it was a, it could have been a chest shot. He falls back. Um, but no, he's okay. And then, yes, Simon goes, sits up, gets hit in the gut, falls over in slow motion. Everything plays like a death scene. He says his goodbye to River. She goes away to save him, to sacrifice herself. And there's no indication that he's not dead until Mal comes back and, oh, he's just fine. Yeah. Um, and then, what, and there is a little bit of deus ex River in, um, yeah, at the uh, end. in there where she goes. Like, I will admit that after that, because up until that point, there was a sense of, oh, okay, cool. River's, uh, you know, she's really you know, trained, she's, you know, this cool martial artist, you know, they really made, they sort of made her a super soldier. Um, 
But there is something about, okay, you're telling me that this girl just carved through a room of like 20 to 30 Reavers. It's like, oh, she's a superhero. And yeah. this, and I did not want this to be a superhero movie. Um, I'm okay with it because I love superhero movies and I'm, you know, I just had more of a problem with everybody getting, you know, Joss is so good at making you feel the impact of when somebody mm-hmm. dies that the fact that he did it every time somebody got seriously injured mm-hmm. was, you know what? I bet that was something now that I'm looking back at, I bet that's something that is incredibly effective on the first viewing and then with yeah. repeated, eh, eh, but then becomes more and more of an issue with repeated views. Yeah, on first viewing, I remember being, oh, no, oh, my God, no way. Oh, oh, oh okay, yeah. good. So, okay, which, then becomes okay. a que- which then becomes a question as a filmmaker of, are you making this for somebody who's seen it for the first time or making it for somebody who's watching it for the fifth? Well, and that's, you know, I think that Joss, And that impacts the decisions you make. I'm sure that it bothers Joss now. I'm certain that he watches it and it bothers him because, it, because at the time... I don't think he understood how much he is a person who is then and is for the rest of his life going to be making things for people to watch over and over again. And what yeah. a what a burden. What a mm-hmm. like like how could he ever have imagined, you know, that we'd be talking about this 15 years later and you know now with Avengers and with it like it's 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 quite a burden to go okay, I need to make the movie for the person who's on their fifth viewing. As yeah. well it's it's you know and again it's something that now is just, I, I have to, you know, there's, you and I have talked about scooping, which is, you know, a reference to the movie Hannibal where, uh, where um, Ray Liotta's character gets dumber and dumber as, uh, as Hannibal Lecter is scooping out pieces of his brain. Mm-hmm. And so whenever I'm watching a movie and I want to enjoy it, despite the fact that I, that, that what's happening is really how many scoops, how many scoops I, does it take before yeah. you can so, enjoy the film? So, so I just say, I just, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll go, uh, and, and my wife will very wisely go, scoop. I'll go, okay. <laughs> okay. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> a, a nice way of looking at it. Scoop. Um, I need to jump into uh, following after this. Um, the last thing in the film that bothered me, um, again, and it felt to me like another deus ex machina, um, the fight between Mal and the operative. Which is awesome. Uh, which is awesome. And they did a great job of, I mean, in... Any good action film, or not any good action film, but most of them, when the good guy and the bad guy are finally facing off, if I am thinking, oh my god, the good guy is effed at the beginning of it because the bad guy is so badass, that is a good place to be in. What it, you know, because essentially you you don't you don't want the good guy and the bad guy to be on equal footing. You want there to be this sense of how in the world is he going to win? Um, the and problem say, with that, can, can I say from a from a filmmaking point of view, how wonderfully they accomplished that with Mal and the operative by the use of a glass floor, um, because they're fighting on a glass floor. So when Mal hits, they keep cutting underneath the floor, and you're seeing his face just go bam on the floor. Oh, um, good point. Yeah, um, very and nice. And so and so it's 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 a level of impact they're able to give. We said earlier, crunch. Mm-hmm. That yeah, I think the floor is that part fil- of the reason that film the- had crunch. Yeah, or that anyway. fight had crunch. Yeah, go on. Um, so that aspect of it is great. the The problem with setting that imbalance up is then, as a scriptwriter, choreographer, filmmaker, you then need to figure out, okay, so how does the good guy win? And this particular victory 
was totally unearned. Totally unearned. Was, was straight up Deus Ex Machina. And here again, this is going to be my last way of saying, oh, now I'm going to improve on Joss Whedon. Um, no, is this that, is this is. I have it in my notes right here. I know exactly what you're going to say. So essentially, so Mal's got this nerve cluster. I mean, here's the thing. It is. I appreciate the fact that Mal does not win by somehow becoming a better hand-to-hand fighter than the operative. Like, it is made very, very clear the operative is going to wipe the floor with Mal, and I would have been very disappointed if Mal had somehow just gotten the upper hand through sheer uh, through sheer physical prowess. I, you know, um, I... No, I, well, let me... Okay, yeah. Uh, let, yeah, let me go through to the end of it. The, uh, so the thing is, the operative does his little cool move that he does at the beginning, um, except... Mal has conveniently had that nerve cluster destroyed because of shrapnel that he got in the war, which means that he's then able to get the drop on the operative. That wouldn't have bothered me if it weren't for the fact that this is the first time that the nerve cluster is brought up. Yeah, it needs to be be Chekhov's nerve cluster. It needs to check us. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was thinking. All you need to do is during the bank scene or some, some early thing early on, have him take a kidney punch there and then suddenly turn around and slam the guy down and, you know, and then I have Zoe be like, whoa, how'd you say, you know, he's like, oh, you remember that shrapnel hit that I took during the war? Um, that's all you need to do. Um, I don't even think it would be telegraphing it. Um, yeah. And then it becomes part, of, and then it becomes, uh, even though it's still Mal beats the operative through dumb luck, we're a little bit more okay with it because it was dumb luck that we were aware of before. Yeah. Um, so it, uh, I mean, and again, that's just a storytelling thing of, it's sort of the reverse of Chekhov's gun because Chekhov's gun, the, the concept of Chekhov's gun is if you are going to show a gun in the first act, you better be shooting that gun in the third act. This is the inverse of this that. Is if you're going to have a gun in the third if act. If you're going to have a gun in the third act, you better show it. If you're yeah. going to shoot a gun in the third act, you better show it being planted in the first act. He so, could have, yeah. you know, he could have been injured in that than that heist, and then there could have been a scene where where Simon's passionate and go, I had to move that mo- the nerve cluster. Oh, that's even better. Out. I like that. Yeah, you know what I, I mean. Like I mean, that that, that's that, even that, better. And and then and you know you could you know say you know because Simon, then you, that yeah. that adds to a certain element of fate. Yeah, in things. Um, yeah. but uh, but you know, again, it still works. You know, the, it's, it's yeah, it's it's fine. You know, it's broadcast. Um, it's it's broadcast out there. Um, we've a, a lovely funeral scene. Um, mm-hmm. where I I haven't talked about costumes. I'm not a guy who goes oh, and the costumes. We will a little bit. when We talk about superhero costumes. Mm-hmm. But damn, Zoe's dress. Zoe's dress. She's. Uh, I mean, here's the thing. Gina Torres is nothing short of elegance, no matter what she is in at yeah. all times. But uh and it it's just it is the. I love it because it is Zoe at her softest, and yet she is not in. She is not a whit less strong than she is in anything else she wears. It's beautiful. It's sensual. It's strong. It's almost mournful in its own way. Yeah, it's oh, it's it's, it's, um, it's exemplary. Um, and then it, the movie ends with a uh, with a uh, lovely little conversation with uh, with Malin River. Um, mm-hmm. I love. I love the conversation at the end where he talks about love is what keeps the bird in the air. There's a yeah. moment in it that I really love when when he goes, you know what keeps us up? Well, I guess you do since you you know, know what I'm going to say before I say it. And when she goes, yeah, but I'd like to hear you say it. Yeah. Oh, um, no, that, 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 final, that final conversation is just, it's beautiful. It's touching. And that conversation ends the series beautifully. Yep. Love, is what, love is what keeps a bird in the air. I'm sorry, that's... It, it's epic. It's perfect. 
and they're and then the, the the thing flies off the ship and they're off to new adventures. You get the sense yes. of, just like this you adventure. Get the, they're yeah, off to there's new that adventures. sense of even though we don't get to watch them go do it, we know that they're still going to be off and they've got this future ahead of them. Yeah, and 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 yeah. and it's a future that will still be filled with adventure. I mean, that's the thing. It's mm-hmm. not like they're going off to be happy. They're yeah, going. They're, off they're, to, they're not going to a farm upstate. They're yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, I'll be the first to come out and say um uh. We have not. We're going to have a rating system on Totally Super. We haven't decided what it is. Um, mm-hmm. uh, for the sake of this, um, let's just say out of five. I thought that Serenity was the best Firefly film that has been made. <laughs> that's not helpful. <laughs> I think it was the worst Firefly film that's been made. Yeah, I like that. You're like, that's not helpful. And I'm like, neither is your stupid need for a rating uh, system. Um, um, uh, uh, just so we can keep track. Um, if you, let's just, I, not that this will be the one we keep. So uh, out of 10, um, from a scale of one to 10, with 10 being the best movie that you've ever seen that has changed your life and, and exploded your brain, um, and one being, I don't know, Exit to Eden. Or, Battlefield Earth. Or Cars 2. Um, uh, what would you, where would you rank this, this, this fine film? Probably 7.5 to 8. That's pretty high. Um, yeah, maybe, you know what, now that I'm thinking of it, sort of a, yeah, it's tricky because it's never an exact linear curve when you're going on a 10 scale, but I'd say, yeah, seven or eight up there. It's definitely, it's definitely better than five and it's definitely better than six. So yeah, seven or eight. Seven or eight. I, uh, I'm with you. Um, believe it or not, um, on, on this, I would, I would say eight, at least for me personally, eight to nine. Um, uh, this is a film that I find it, it's not deep. Um, it's endlessly watchable for me. Mm-hmm. I could, and it I, is, and it is, as most of the reviewers said, it is a whole lot deeper than most other space age action flicks. Um, the the film could end, and I could literally turn it back on. Um, it is, it it is just, and if it's on halfway, I can't not watch it. Um, uh, I would put it on like one of the like most underrated films out there. Let me ask you a question. Um, if you had somebody who wanted to watch Firefly, who was like, you know, I've heard about this Firefly thing. Everybody's always telling me about this Firefly thing. Um, would you suggest that they pick up the DVD series and then watch the film, which highlight, which makes the film a deeper experience? And all, of course, there's a spoiler of the deaths in the film. Or would you, as I have done, suggest that they uh, that they watch the film first as as the film is more palatable to an Somebody who like I've told you before, I almost bailed on pilot on Firefly in the second episode. I um, would absolutely no question say start with the DVD series. Why? Um, because Serenity is meant to be the ending, not the beginning. Um, the and part of it is and yeah, it might mean that somebody might get bored with the first couple or something. But to me, it's uh, it's the way that they're meant to be watched. Uh, I I wish I could put it in better terms than that, but it's like the. Um, and I'm and I'm a big and, and, and also because Firefly is better than Serenity. Um, I disagree. Well, and well, there you I, go. I'm That's in the, I, I, both, I'm both in the of us want to lead with it. both of us want to lead with what we feel is stronger. Don't yeah. get me wrong; they're both great. And what I will totally do is say, um, and here's the thing. If after the first couple episodes, the person's like, yeah, I'm not really getting into it so much, then I'll totally be like, well, go watch Serenity. 
you know, because Serenity is just a great film as is. You know, that's a good standalone. You'll be fine with that. Um, but no, the I I don't want to rob someone of the opportunity of getting the full immersive in-depth character experience of Firefly just because I'm worried that they might not be into it. So I want to get I but then that's also me. I don't start people with lowest common denominators. Yeah, and I I think that I would probably um I it would depend on my audience. There are people I know who would like Firefly who would I can pretty effectively go who who have a short enough attention span that they probably would bail after the first couple episodes. Mm-hmm. I would probably show them Serenity first. If I knew someone, you know, like uh like uh like my friend Alexia, she is she commits. If she's going to watch something, she's going to watch something. Um, if mm-hmm. she were like, well, what should I do first? Then I would clearly say watch it in the order. It was, you know, maybe I think what it is is that I really loved the first two episodes. Like, so for me, it's yeah. just like, I, 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 in my personal interpretation with Firefly, my thought is, ah, if you didn't enjoy the first couple episodes, you're probably not going to enjoy the rest of the show. Um, now clearly that doesn't actually apply to everyone since that wasn't the case with you, but that, that is my own instinctive feeling for it. Excellent. Well, that's it. Uh, we have finished yeah. Firefly. Oh my um, gosh, we have finished Firefly. So coming up next uh, on Totally Super, um, we have a little more Joss to do. Um, uh, I mm-hmm. don't know if you remember, we made a promise uh, that we were going to review Cabin of the Woods. Oh, that's uh, right. Did, uh, you just said coming up next on Totally Super. Uh-huh. Did I? We, uh, are, we are still in pop-off. We're still in pop-off. So, sorry, pop-off, pop-off. Uh, sorry, this is... Uh, Totally super is, is very soon. Um, but so, yes. Cabin in the Woods. Now, Cabin in the Woods is probably going to be the... We're probably going to spend a little bit more time on the synopsis with this one just because Cabin in the Woods is the Joss film that a lot of Joss fans haven't seen. Um, I should actually point out, I'll give a shout out to some of the people who have actually been saying that they've been listening to the podcast and enjoying it. I think there was there was a mother of a friend of mine uh, who I found out was just like, that wants an email or something to write into because she needs to tell us about the things that we need to be talking about that we've missed. Well, I would, Firefly I will say this. Um, uh, if you are listening to this show um, before, let's say October, 2017, um, come over to uh, the um, geeks radio, uh, look up geeks radio on, um, on Facebook and come over to the geeks radio uh, feed and say hi there. Or you can look up Arthur or myself, Arthur Rowan or Justin Tipain. You can say hi to us personally. Mm-hmm. Um, after October, 2017, um, uh, I would go to the Totally Super podcast and say, hey, I'm listening to the old pop-off um, and this, these are my thoughts. Please, we would still love to hear yeah. from you. I mean, like, li- show's done. like seriously, the half the fun of this is to have people writing in telling us why we're wrong. Yeah, do it. Cord- do it. Cordially and with respect. Please, please. I think you're wrong, which is why I'm at your house. <laughs> you know, it's knock, not, knock, knock. Not the way to go. The um, commentator, the commentary is coming from inside the house. I know. We we recorded that five years ago. Um, <laughs> uh, um, in the case of the Buffy ones, we really did. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, Cabin in the Woods is next. Uh, my suggestion to all of you, uh, spoiler alert for what I'm going to say, it's really good. It's, it's really great. good. Go watch it and then come listen to us. Don't like there are podcasts I listen to where I'm like, hey, uh, like I listen to the Now Playing podcast and, and I listen to the, all their episodes, even the ones where like I haven't seen the movie. Um, but if there's a movie I know I want to see or I might want to see, I skip that episode till I see it. This is an episode you got. You know, it'll probably take us a week or two to get it up. Seriously, mm-hmm. go uh, go see Cabin in the Woods. Uh, yeah. Just pick it's, it up somewhere. Uh, 
It is, don't, I mean, it is scary. It is definitively a horror film. That was sort of the point of it. Um, that being said, it's a horror film that is accessible to a lot of people who aren't into horror films. Perhaps The West Wing is more sort of your thing. Hey, guess what? There's Bradley Whitford. Yes, and um, and it's uh, it's absolutely, at the same time, absolutely a Joss Whedon film. Oh, Without definitively. a yeah. doubt, a Joss mm-hmm. Whedon film. Because look, there's Amy Acker. Um, yeah. So, uh, so um, please watch that and then tune in because we I, we don't want to spoil it for you and it is a spoilable film. So, mm-hmm. uh, and we're gonna spoil it big time. So, so go watch it. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, my name is Justin, and my name is Arthur, and you can go pop off. <laughs> go pop yourself. Go pop off right now. Uh, but make sure your door is locked. Okay, bye. <laughs> the totally super podcast is coming to Geeks Radio. Justin and Arthur review every superhero movie ever made. Search for Totally Super Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Totally Super Podcast 2017.